Hi there and thanks for joining us. A special podcast this week as we link up with the Irish Examiner for Cork on the Rise. An exclusive listen to the arguments about how our city should develop in the years ahead. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. So, as we all know, Cork is a very unique city at a moment of great change. You only have to look at the skyline to literally witness a city that's on the rise. And as the government says that we will be the fastest growing region in the country in the next 20 years, the Irish Examiner decided to have a look at how that's going to happen. And more importantly, what do we want the Cork of tomorrow to be? On this particular podcast, we're going to hear from a panel of experts assembled by the Irish Examiner on Friday, April 25th last. Namely, Angela Brady, an architect, Anne Doherty, Chief Executive of Cork City Council, Michael O'Flynn, the developer, and Thornishta Simon Coveney. We've had to edit it down a little for time, but first of all, the panellists were all asked to give their opening thoughts. What attracts people to a city is the quality of life. And here in Cork, we have this in abundance. But we need to attract people to stay. So companies will make the choice of where to go. And if you've already got like Apple and all of the big, the big companies, and you could get more people. But you need to have the right kind of housing for them. Apartment living is something you're not used to, but I believe you need some more apartment living in the city centre. You need to densify your city centre and not have urban sprawl, which is a great attraction for some people because it's easy to do, but it's a big mistake that we've learned from the 60s and 70s. So we need, we need to do key things. We need to appreciate the rich value that you have in heritage. The heritage of Cork is what gives us its rich um, history, culture and identity. And that's the unique selling point of Cork. I'm involved in housing for 40 years in Cork and beyond. And I am concerned that a whole cohort of people are, are not able to buy houses and our, our policies um, aren't allowing them to buy houses at this moment in time. And no doubt we'll discuss some of this later. I'm all for compact building. I'm all for brownfield development. Uh, but it has to be viable, it has to be feasible, and we have to be practical about what is possible today. Uh, you know, I hear people talk about, oh, it, it, there's loads of planning permissions. You know, I, I have no interest in buying something to get planning. I'm only interested in buying something to get planning and building and doing something with it. Viability is a simple mathematical equation. The sale price must be greater than the costs and it must include a reasonable profit. There is no doubt that this is a pivotal moment for Cork. On May 31st, the city will grow to nearly five times its current size, with a population increase from 85,000 to, uh, by 85,000 to a population of 210,000 people. This, coupled with the government's ambition for Cork under the National Planning Framework, means that we will be the fastest growing city in the country over the next 20 years. Cork will be an international city in scale, and this will put us in a place of opportunity for economic, social and cultural development. This potential is real. First of all, I think it's fair to say that Ireland has never had a second city strategy. Certainly not in my lifetime in politics anyway. Uh, we have one now. Uh, we have a national strategy that 
uh, is signalling very clearly uh, that Cork has a national and international role to play for Ireland. Uh, in simple terms, if you want to talk numbers, uh, we know that in the next two decades there will be an extra million people in Ireland. I think it will be closer to a million and a half, actually. Uh, our population is currently growing, I think, in the last 12 months by 74,000. Uh, but certainly we can anticipate, I think, an average population growth each year of somewhere between 50 and 80,000. The voices there of Angela Brady, Michael O'Flynn, Anne Doherty and Simon Coveney. The panel was moderated by Irish Examiner Senior Correspondent Michael Clifford. Angela, <laughs> developing, as you say, densifying the city centre and you're up against various vested interests in that regard and you have all the vested interests here with us on the stage. What, in your opinion, is the guiding principles we need in order to retain the the architectural character of Cork, while at the same time providing all of that much-needed housing as close to the city centre as possible? Yeah, um, Cork is, um, is a, it's just a fantastic city and it's got the most rich heritage. It's valuing that heritage, getting the change of use for many of the older buildings that are there, that are current and up-to-date, not trashing them or knocking them down. And um, having, if, when you have an, an old and a new side by side, it can work really well. But I think that um, we need to intensify the city so that it is a livable, walkable city, which means more homes in apartments, apartment living. Not everybody wants the nuclear family, 2.4 kids on a, a house. So when we say we need more houses, we need more homes. When, when you say apartment li living, to a, to a certain extent, are you not saying high-rise? Apartment living, what do you call high-rise? Is high-rise, high-rise for Cork might be eight stories. And they might say, let's have a plan. We need a plan. We need lots of master plans for different, for, for different uh, sections. But high-rise doesn't mean, for example, a 50-story tower. That would be totally wrong, in my opinion, for Cork, because Cork is not a Manhattan-style um, city. And the proposal at the moment, I, I didn't need to bring this up so soon in the debate, but just to get it over with, maybe, um, to build a 50-story uh, tower block um, in Cork city centre, to me, would destroy the essence of Cork. Simon, I mean, let's face it, we've seen it already beginning in Dublin in terms of when height restrictions are removed at all, the pressure is going to come on inevitably, particularly when you have a housing crisis, to go that bit higher. And if there's a creeping element to it, what's to protect Cork from that going down the same route as seems to be the case they're doing in Dublin? Well, I mean, I don't think height is a threat at all. That's the first thing. Um, as long as it's the right kind of height and the right kind of place uh, uh, with the right quality of design. Um, so, I mean, I agree with Angela. Uh, I don't think we need 50-storey buildings in Cork. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, that a city uh, that is developing a new and modern Docklands region shouldn't have high cities there. Uh, I think the, the height restrictions in Dublin have, um, have been a mistake. Uh, I think that, um, uh, that allowing for taller buildings in the right locations should not be seen as a threat uh, uh, as long as, I say, as long as the quality of design uh, is, is robustly assessed uh, by, by planning teams uh, and they're in the right place. Uh, and, 
you know, the, the truth here is that the Cork of 2040 will be very different from the Cork of today. Uh, hopefully we will be able to see a lot more of this kind of restoration of, you know, fantastic old buildings that are part of the city's heritage, uh, now designed for modern use. But we will also see a new architecture emerging in this city uh, that allows for a new kind of living. So, you know, I mentioned an extra million people in, in Ireland. I mean, the CSO would tell us that of that extra million people, half of them won't have been born in Ireland. Uh, many of them will have come to Ireland from other parts of the world where they are used to a different kind of living. Uh, many of them will want to rent. Um, those that want to buy, Michael's right, we need to create a model that can allow them to do that and, uh, uh, and to afford them. Uh, to be able to afford to do that, but many will want to come to Cork and live here for 10 or 15 years and to rent and maybe to move on to some other European city or capital. When, when Michael built the Elysian, uh, like, I mean, let's, let's face it, he got attacked by many people uh, for building this monster in the city that was going to put uh, other elements of the city in the shade, that was going to dominate City Hall. Uh, I and other people pushed back against that hard uh, because I recognized that you know, we shouldn't be afraid of height as long as the quality is good enough. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, this city needs to be ambitious uh, and it shouldn't be afraid of being different. Uh, and, uh, and that is, has always been the personality of Cork. A bit rebellious, a bit different, uh, kicking back against uh, perceived uh, norms that come from Dublin. Uh, and I think that's the way we should approach uh, how we build the, the next phase of development in the city. Okay, M Michael, and obviously as a developer you'd be one of the, the, the leading forces in terms of how we develop that. But isn't there an issue there over what you describe as viability and the requirement for incentives and versus the retention of the character of the city as it, in, 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 its, um, in its traditional... Yeah, architecture. absolutely, Michael. I'm, I'm interested in what Angela describes as, as height could be seven or eight stories because, like, I don't see Cork having hugely taller than the Elysian style developments. And I remember when we planned the Elysian, I, I felt the location of that at, at the end of the Link Road allowed us to do something that would make a statement. And, but I wouldn't say the upper floors of that were a very profitable exercise. And, uh, you know, I hear, I hear, you know, the Tornista talking about, you know, I want height for Cork. But, like, height for Cork isn't like height in London. It's not like height in parts of Dublin. It's, back to your viability question, it is really, really difficult to build tall buildings in a location like Cork and make them work. And I know you described vested interests at the start, but, you know, we, no, no, but vested interests are a good thing because they, they make things happen. And the reality of the situation is, and as I see plenty of people down there in, in the audience, we have to talk about something that's going to happen. Uh, tall buildings at this moment in time, with the cost base that's there, will not, will work in parts of Dublin, it'll work in parts of England, and I've been involved in developments in London and elsewhere, but I can tell you, very tall buildings in, in Cork will not work. But I would also ask the question that people are kind of not asking at all. Of course the transient workforce want to live, or want to live in the city and work in the city, and that's wonderful. But then very quickly they want to live somewhere else. And I hear a lot of people talking about that apartments are the only way to go. 
and I absolutely favour as many apartments as we can, we can have. But don't forget Cork is a small city. Apartments go well in big cities, that's the first point. I, I don't agree that it, it has to be all about height, but I think in Dublin that's a, that's a well-made case. But you have to look and see. I hear people saying, oh yeah, it's great, we live all apartments, but they don't live in apartments, they don't want to live in apartments. So we have a lot of people talking about something that actually they have no interest in, in themselves. So but isn't that something that will have to be addressed, Michael, to be fair? No, is, 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 nobody is saying this is all going to be solved by apartments. Let's no, be but, clear but, no, but there's you know, a greater I mean, percentage. I live in, in Cargilline. There are, you know, 800 houses under construction at the moment or just been, uh, just been finished. Uh, um, like, and it, and, I mean, that's a bit of an exception, to be fair, right? But, but, you know, it is a combination of building family homes on the outskirts of cities uh, and in suburbs where people want to live with, with families and uh, with space. But uh, we have had a broken... Uh, rental market in Ireland yeah. for as long as anybody can remember. Uh, there's no other country in Europe that has 80 or 90 percent of rental properties owned by landlords that only have one property. Right? So, so we have to fix a rental market that complements a, a house buyer's market and we have to do both. At the moment it is totally stacked in favour of house building uh, and that's partly the government's responsibility in terms of policy. Uh, but we have to be able to do both. If this city is going to have 350,000 people in it, uh, uh, we have to have a significant population living in apartments. This, this worries me now. Get in this worries me because in, 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 in the Tarnish's opening remarks, he, he, he seemed to say that Balancholic and Carrigaline is not the way to go. Um, and I think it is the way not to go. Not on its own. I, I, not, I think it is the way to go, and I think I'll, developing those towns, I think, are, is really important. Uh, you, the, the, if you do a market analysis, and there's plenty of people in this room capable of doing it, only a certain amount of people will want to live in apartments. And you have to be practical about a size of a city like Cork. Uh, you are not going to get family units wanting to stay in apartments. So we have to be practical and not put all our eggs in one basket. And the point I made earlier, I cannot see apartments viable in centre of Cork for some time to come. Yes, the rental model is working, and I think the rental model in Dublin is actually depriving a lot of people of, of ownership, of home ownership. Is that a good thing? I don't think so. And I think a lot of the institutions who are driving that rental model at the moment is at the, is at the cost of people who want to buy their own homes. Michael, so is, is, there, is there are pluses and minuses here. Is there not something there that on the nature of demographics and how the country is developed, we will have to become more in line with European countries that have that model of a far greater percentage of people renting? I, I absolutely get that, and that's happening anyway. And we, we had an extraordinary high percentage of, of home ownership, and that's going to reduce. I don't agree with the tarnished on I think the landlord system in this country has worked well in that a lot of people with one or two provided a function that's not being provided anymore. I, I think it would be a shame if we end up having an argument about, uh, about housing only yeah. um, because I think that uh, in looking around this room and no disrespect to anyone in this room, none of us in this room are actually the people we're talking about. 
It's about a, a new population. And a young our population. Our really children, young. our grandchildren. So our city is about building you, for a future. Even in their 20s and 30s, Absolutely. it's a for them now. And I think that, um, and I suppose that's where we need to maybe focus a little bit, and maybe Angela raised this in her uh, contribution, about engaging, about what do people want. Um, I think as well, and when it comes to apartments, that we need to remember that we may find that families will want to live in apartments if they're the right quality, if there's the proper public space and public amenities available. So, for example, developments like Marina Park in the Docklands as a start to the bookend of the Docklands is an encouragement to change how people live. And I think that we need to have a wider debate than just the type of accommodation. Okay. And one other element in terms of a city developing and is bringing the public with them. And I think, is it fair to say that the experiment in relation to Patrick Street and traffic restrictions, a lot of people would say that the public was not brought along with the plan at an early stage, and that is something that would definitely need to be examined as the city is developing. I think um, that... One of the things I've learned in my short time in the city is that uh, you can be forever getting it right and get it wrong sometimes, if that makes any sense. I think that uh, people don't engage until it's right up in front of them. Um, and I think we have to change that conversation. I think the supplement today is the beginning of that, to actually get a wider church of people saying what is happening in Cork, because otherwise we just end up with a discussion with people who are directly affected immediately. So it's that wider conversation. Um, we go through processes to engage with people, be it for Patrick's, be it for Morrison's Island, um, which can be very, very deep. But we always have to continue to engage and communicate. And I think that's the piece. But it is getting the conversation started. Everybody doesn't need to come into the city centre as we know it now. You can bring the business. And we, the way we work is always so different. You can bring the businesses out, whether to be Balancolic or whether to, to um, Blarney or any of the, um, the, the, the new conglomerates of, of large towns and villages that are coming together. And the way we work now is so different. We've got to take that into consideration in the way we build. We're not going to be built, we shouldn't be building the same type of office blocks when, when we work differently. People work from a laptop. If you look at the way Google, for example, or any of the new industries that are coming into Ireland, look at how they work. Look, look at the way they work. Things are changing. Look at the way we live. Young people who can't afford to buy, buy somewhere, they maybe like to share. So why do they try and, you know, there are not enough sharing properties available. We need to look at way, new ways of living together. Co-housing models would be ideal for areas along the river or in, in Tivoli or in other parts where people come together, for like-minded people come together, they can work, they can, and, and it's all in sustainable hubs. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. When are we going to get an event centre? <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought that any, might be raised. Any hard questions? <laughs> At some point, I, I thought maybe it might be on English who asked the question. But, um, can I just say, and I will answer that question, but let me, let me just say on infrastructure, because the event centre is not actually a normal template in terms of how you deliver infrastructure. First of all, the event sector centre, even though it's a project for Cork, it is a private sector project that the government is financially supporting uh, and is going to work with the developers to get it across the line. And it's, it's complicated and I'll 
explain why in a second. But in terms of the, the other infrastructure projects um, that are the responsibility of the state to deliver, both locally and nationally and through state agencies, whether that's done Kettle, whether it's the N28, whether it's the N22, whether it's the M20, whether it's building half of the Northern Ring Road essentially from Blackpool to the Duncattle Interchange, all of these things have been committed to in the, uh, the 116 billion euro um, National Development Plan Capital Investment Programme. Uh, delivering them on time is a big challenge for the state uh, uh, and on budget for that matter. Uh, and we've seen mistakes made uh, uh, in, in projects uh, um, uh, in the not too distant past on that. And we've seen some great success stories of projects delivered on time and ahead of budget. So for Cork, and there's a big onus on me and others in government to make sure that those big projects, and you're talking about billions of euros of investment in road infrastructure and public transport alone, actually happen and maintain the kind of momentum that we're trying to create here today. Uh, and there'll be a big funding decision, hopefully, in relation to Dunkettle happening in the, in the next few weeks that can allow them to move on to the next stage of that project. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a, uh, a, a decision at the end of a judicial review in relation to the N28 soon and the N22 also moving, moving forward this year. Uh, the event centre is, is more complicated. Uh, uh, and look, I don't want to give you like a 15-minute yeah, dissertation on it, but in simple terms, right, all of the people involved in the event centre are deeply committed to it, from BAM to Live Nation to City Council to national government, um, and have been working on this project for four years. Uh, it is hugely frustrating for the public and for many businesses in Cork who are planning investments in their own businesses on the back of a 6,000-seater event centre that's, that's full you know, four or five times a week. Um, Isn't that the job of government? Yes, it is. Done? Yes, it is. Uh, and, you know, I take a lot of personal uh, responsibility for the government end of that um, uh, in terms of trying to coordinate a response. Um, I think the City Council have done a great job but have been really frustrated in this project. But I think it's also true to say that the project has changed, you know, from, from when there was an initial competitive process uh, clearly, when there was detailed design work done uh, with the two key players, BAM and Live Nation, uh, it became evident very quickly that what we were planning to build here was going to cost more uh, and, and was going to change in terms of scale. And that is why there's been a second planning application, which is still in process, that we're going through. But the funding model for it, the government are clear in terms of what we need to do to provide that funding. Uh, providing funding today is very different to 10 years ago uh, in terms of transparency and scrutiny and accountability uh, and that is why uh, there have been many hoops for us to to get through um, uh, yeah and, I, and, I think and, it has you know, rehearsed to be fair so, so, so I mean like what I would say to you is that I'm confident we can deliver this um, um, and I uh, and I know that uh, that everyone is, is still committed to it uh, and what I have said is that we have to finalise the funding model in parallel with finalising the planning. Uh, and I think both of those things can happen uh, between now and the end of the summer. Okay, Michael, from your perspective, we've 2040 plans, as you've mentioned. Have you confidence, as far as the private sector is concerned, that government and, and, and public sector organisations are able to, to, to deliver in order to let you do your job and get ahead with the development of infrastructure? Uh, I'd be the first to say that 
the strategic housing development legislation, which, which um, Simon was instrumental in, in, in bringing forward. The LIHA funding, which we're the beneficiaries of in our development in Ballinglana, are doing certain things. But we have a massive catch-up here uh, in terms of infrastructure, and it concerns me when I hear the Tonishta saying that there's a Dunkettle funding decision shortly, because as far as I'm concerned, and many more in this room, Dunkettle is a done deal. Dunkettle is, Cork will not develop any further unless the Dunkettle uh, project uh, happens. Sorry, let's not have any confusion around sorry, that. Uh, any, any project where you're spending over 100 million euros of public money has stages of approval. Yeah. Um, and Dunkettle will go through the next stage without any problem. That's the point I'm saying. Okay. Uh, the, the, the funding commitment on Dunkettle, N28, N22, and N20, uh, it, those funding commitments are made. They're done, they're committed to. That doesn't mean you don't have to go through stages of approval uh, as the projects progress. Well, well, all I'm saying is I hope those stages of approval are automatic because if something like Dunkettle runs into a problem, the whole of Cork runs into a problem. But to answer your question, Michael, I, I, I'm not confident that in, this is about Cork and Cork Rising, that we are going to keep attracting the jobs we need to attract because of the housing situation. And I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not in favour of a future brownfield. But I, at this moment in time, a lot of the proposals aren't viable, a lot of the aspirations aren't viable, and I know my colleagues and I are, are, do, are, are doing an assessment on this viability issue in Cork, but the blunt reality is Dublin will keep growing because people can go out and out and out in Dublin. You can't go down to the towns in West Cork or North Cork and live in because there's no new development there. So we're, we have been the beneficiaries of stock in this metropolitan region. That stock has, has run out, and if the only show in town is apartments and more apartments, and we're going to yeah, be against... You said that, Michael, no, no but, but this, is where, this is where it's going, I think. And one of the issues that people don't realise is the densities that are, are being suggested for outside of the city region aren't, aren't practical. If people want to live in an apartment, they want to live in the city. If people, want, if people want to live in, in parts of the outer um, new city, they'll, they'll want to get away from and that, And that's a broader question the whole country it is a broad, is, yeah. It is a broader question, and uh, I think we have to be practical about what, what can we offer people. I've met and I've seen decisions taken recently where the lack of overall housing in the Cork region, and I'm not just talking about the city centre, is a, an inhibiting factor. And I, I think that's, you're asking me, are things ready or not? I, things are not in a position to happen immediately, and I think there has to be a, a more joined-up uh, approach. Um, and I'm not for a moment say Cork City and Cork County and the industry works very really well together. But I think the local authorities, the government, and the industry. I mean, as an industry, we've been excluded from a, a lot of discussion. I, I give, I, again, uh, I, I give... Fair, to be fair, a lot of the problems people would suggest with the housing market is that it has been developer-led over decades, and that is why we are, in, in, to a large extent, well, in the position we're in. That's what some people would say I, in that regard. I'm glad you asked that question, and I see lots of heads nodding down in the audience, because that's a most unfair assessment. Right. Because, But it's you fair, know, a lot of people have. Let me answer the question now. Uh, 
I make the point, you have a situation where we stop planning, we stop development for about six or seven years. I said at the time in 2012, we're heading for a housing crisis. People were laughing at me when I said it. The blunt reality is we didn't do forward planning, we weren't doing infrastructure like Dunkettle, and we, weren't, we created a structure that still bothers me as to why we needed to put everything into a new state structure, which they had their own uh, um, direction from government, and we allowed a situation happen where we stopped doing what we should have been doing. And this is the origin of the problem we have today. We definitely overbuilt in this country, but I can tell you, Michael, I remember being part of meetings with government where we said we are pricing ourselves out of business. Nobody wanted to know. That's 10 and 12 years ago because of the tax take that was there. So it wasn't we caused it alone. I mean, I hear people, and I've spoken at conferences where they talk about the awful planning, the awful developments that have taken place in parts of the country. Those developments had zoning, they had planning, and they had funding. So the developer was probably, the, and you know, was the last person. So a lot of what's put upon us, and we have made mistakes, and I've always accepted that, is an unfair categorization of what our industry okay, does. Okay, a, a broader in question, fairness, and I can accept I, that. Can I just, just make a very brief? And, and, and I don't think we should talk about Bogdan. 12 years oh, ago yeah. because I mean everyone will have their perspective yeah. on it in terms of what happened. What we're talking about is the next 12 yeah. years, right? And what we're trying to create, from my perspective, uh, and we can't do it without Michael and many other people who are building homes for people. But what we're trying to do is to ensure that we don't create a situation where Cork spreads out like Dublin has. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. And starting with you, if there was one thing you would suggest should be to the forefront of the mind of all who are involved in developing into the near future, what is that thing to your mind? I'm going to go for two. Uh, because I can and first. Uh, I think that one is, is about um, that, uh, that collectively that we have that ambition collectively and that we drive forward together ensuring that we protect the heritage the culture that we've spoken about. I think the second one is, is, is about the certainty on the investment and uh, the Thonish mentioned um, you know, the different projects and the capital programme but as for the investors sitting in this room, if I can't give them certainty that I can say for certain that at a certain milestone a certain thing can happen, that doesn't allow progress. And so to me, it is that ring-fenced multi-annual um, framework for, for funding. So for example, at Council the other night, uh, there was a question about a, a piece of bus corridor in the city that's been developed that's very contentious out around Wilton. And the question one of the elected members is, well, when is the next phase? And the answer I have to give is, I don't know, because I don't have the powers to make that decision. It's made by a national organisation. So does that the, the, the more local government. Angela, yeah. you, if you have the one thing you want to the forefront. Um, I'd like to see um, three or four design champions who are giving the planning department teeth to make good decisions for quality design. I'd like to see alternative types of living, different types of housing, intensifying the city centre for work and live for all ages and all pockets of economy. I think it's very important that the young and the old are brought into the city and they will, they, will, they will enliven it as much as anything else. So really intensified city, more diverse for our diverse workforce and live force and design champions that will help 
create and push, push through design first, quality, quality, quality. Tanishta. Um, I, I think momentum and certainty are the two key things. Um, How do we achieve uh, that? Um, uh, well, I think conversations like this one are helpful. Um, you know, it's really important that people like myself and Michael challenge each other all the time, uh, and we do. Um, and it's really important that people like myself and Anne challenge each other so that, you know, if, if national government isn't delivering for Cork, we need to hear about it. Um, but we near, need to hear about it not, not necessarily in a party political way, but in, you know, in a fact-based discussion, which, is, which, is, you know, which has the evidence to back up those arguments. Um, and I think, I think we, can, um, we can do that. But you know, the, the most important thing, I think, in Cork uh, is that now that we've created a foundation and a platform to build something very significant and very special over the next two decades, that actually there's a collective effort now across business, uh, uh, community leaders, local government, national government, uh, to make sure that we continue to have this conversation challenging each other so that if there's a weak link in that chain, whether that's a government minister, whether it's a, 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 or somebody else or something else, that actually everybody else gets on the case and solves it um, so that we maintain uh, a momentum and a drive um, that actually gets, gets this city moving at a pace that I think we all uh, think it needs. Michael, briefly yourself. Michael, uh, okay, I'll be brief. I agree with the destination. I agree with where we all want to go. But we have to be realistic about what steps are possible on the journey. I'm very concerned that we're not being realistic. I encouraged, and in fairness, we do challenge each other, the Tarnished and I, from time to time, and it's a good thing. I'm encouraged if the government are going to interact with us and understand our issues, because I am passionate about Cork. I'm very concerned about the next number of years because we will lose in this region unless we face up to what's viable, what's practical, what's affordable, and if we're not going to do that and we have a future plan, aspiration that won't happen, Cork is going to go backwards. The only show in town for Cork business, Red Business. My thanks to Michael Clifford and all at the Irish Examiner for allowing us to share this Cork on the Rise event. More is available on their website, irishexaminer.ie. The Hennessy produced this podcast. Don't forget you can listen to every episode of Red Business on redextra.ie and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.